Welcome to today's Church Central podcast. We're a family of churches across Birmingham. To find out more, head to churchcentral.org.uk. Yeah, a real special day, a big day, uh, potentially a Church Central first when we actually freeze four of our church family to death in a church service. So you can say that you were there, okay, when the media come running and they're looking for people to interview. You were there when that church in Birmingham froze some people. Um, but Matt and Greg and Jude and Isaiah, uh, in case you're feeling like you've got a tough gig uh, in a few minutes' time, you might be encouraged by this image that can come up now. Um, this next photo is a baptism in the Russian Orthodox Church. Uh, how they do it is they carve a hole, a cross-shaped hole, in the ice and uh, plunge you, throw you, drop you into it. And so all I'm saying is, is it could have been a lot worse, guys, okay? <laughs> that being said, I recognize it, it probably could also have been better. Uh, this photo is the good folk from Sunlight Community Church in Florida preparing for their beach baptisms the other day. And the next one is a shot from Harbor Church Honolulu in Hawaii. <laughs> So uh, we like to think that we found a happy medium here in Church Central, okay? Not too hot, not too cold. Just, uh, just nicely lukewarm, uh, which I think the Bible says something about lukewarm churches. So we'll move on. We'll move on. Now, all jokes aside, I think the sheer variety of ways that this rite of passage, baptism, is done by Christians actually teaches us something very, very important if you want to understand baptism and what these guys are doing today. And it's this, the externals of baptism, the details of where it's done or how warm it is or, or how it's done are important, but they are not the big deal in baptism. The big deal is what the externals are symbolizing. You see, if you want to understand baptism, you need to know that it is an outward expression of an inward reality. It's expressing externally something that is already true internally. In that sense, it's a little bit like Isaiah's Chelsea shirt, okay? When Isaiah puts on his Chelsea shirt, he doesn't become a Chelsea fan, okay? That dark and corrupting work in his soul has already happened, sadly. But when he puts on the shirt, he is expressing outwardly who he already is. Or Jude, when Jude puts on his Solihull Junior Barons under-16s ice hockey jersey, is that right? Yeah, thanks Irene for the, for the info. That shirt, that jersey doesn't make him part of that team. If it did, then if I put on the jersey, I would suddenly be part of the under-16s ice hockey team. But that wouldn't really work for lots of reasons. No, Jude already is part of that team. He already represents that team. He already embodies the values of that team. And the jersey then is just an expression of that. The same is true with Matt's student nurse uniform, okay, or Greg's laboratory goggles. I was struggling for the equivalent illustration for those two, but as a student nurse and a third-year physicist, 
when they put those on, it doesn't make them something new. It merely is an outward expression of who they already are. And baptism is like that. When they get baptized, they are not becoming Christians today. That would be to misunderstand what baptism is. As if the water from the outdoor tap at this school was going to do something magic to them and make them into holy Christian people. It's just water. But what it is, it's an outward expression, an important outward expression of something that is already true for them. But what is it that baptism is expressing? What is it trying to teach us? What is it deliberately designed to demonstrate to us? To help us answer that question, I want to share with you four statements that baptism is making, four truths, four declarations that it's shouting from the rooftops. And if you're here today supporting Jude, Matt, Isaiah, or Greg, and you're, you're not so used to the church stuff, then my hope, again, is that this really just helps you understand what it means to them and why they're doing it, so that you can know that little bit deeper what it means to them. And if you're part of the church or you're a follower of Jesus yourself, my hope is that you will, as we think about these four statements, remember and rejoice and recall what is already true of you because of Jesus' work in your life, and that you'd get a fresh moment to celebrate all that he's done in your life. Is that okay? Great. First thing that baptism is declaring is, I'm all in. The word baptism is from the Greek baptizo or baptizo, which sounds to me a little bit more like a Bond villain than anything. But it means simply this, to immerse, to be immersed. Now, you might know this already, but over the centuries, Christians have done what Christians like to do, which is argue over fine details for not much point. And Christians have argued at length over what this means exactly for the physical act of baptism itself. How deep does the water need to be? What if your big toe doesn't go under the water? Is it an invalid baptism? And all things like this. And while if that's your thing and you're into thinking about that, that's fine. For me, particularly on a day like this, the main comment I'd make on that, particularly to people in this church, is we want to walk with a great deal of respect and humility to people from a wide range of Christian backgrounds and traditions. We do not think our way is the only way of doing it, like the... the, The paddling pool in the car park is the only biblical way. Uh, None of that. We want to walk much more humbly than that. But there is something that's non-negotiable for me. The thing that does matter, the thing that is central, is the internal immersion that the baptism is representing. And that is to say that just as every part of us, in the way that we do it, goes all in to the water, we're symbolizing and making the statement that every part of us is all in with Jesus. We are saying that Jesus is not just for Christmas, he's for life. He's not just for Sundays, he's not just interested in our church attendance, he has a vision for the whole of our humanity. Jesus said that really the primary call on every one of us 
was to love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, all our strength, and our neighbor as ourselves. He is not just after, he's not just interested in our spiritual allegiance, but all of us, we are to be all in. Now, as I say that, I recognize that you might instinctively react against it. You might think, hey, a little bit of spirituality in their lives, that could be a blessing for them. That could help them have a bit of meaning, whatever gets you through, uh, you know, a pandemic, uh, whatever. That's fine. But to say that we're to be all in, to be immersed in this, isn't that a bit much? Isn't that at best kind of a, a bit of a shame for them? There's so much they could be interested in. And at worst, isn't it kind of fanatical and almost dangerous? To which I'd say I have a huge amount of respect for that viewpoint, but would want to gently throw out a couple of thoughts in response as well. Firstly, is it not true that we're all immersed in something? Everyone's passionately pursuing something, right? We're all, all in for something. It might be your political views. It could be sharing your political views on the internet. It could be making sure you're liked at school. It could be fighting injustice. It could be a family, a career, social media, fitness, Formula One, Marvel films, the pursuit of pleasure, money, anything. But being immersed in something isn't the issue. Surely the real issue is whether what I'm immersing myself in is going to lead to my flourishing and the flourishing of those around me? Will it lead to a life that is healthy and loving and generous? Or will it lead to a life where I withdraw or burn out or am shallow or impatient or end up heartbroken? And if you're worried for these four young men getting baptized today, that that being all in with Jesus is going to drain the color out of their life or make them dangerous... I want to encourage you to take a closer look at Jesus. Because when you see who he is, when you see what he's like, you see that going all in with him is never easy, but it's a route to the life that we were made to live. Not an easy life, not a perfect life, but a reconnected life to the God who made us. Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I can make you who you were always meant to be. And what does that life to the full look like? Is it like sports cars and loads of cash? Is that what Jesus means? Well, you see the end of the story. (laughs) Well, not quite the end. But when Jesus dies, you see that life to the full doesn't mean a simple life or an easy life. But to come to Jesus, to be all in with him, is to be all in with someone who people flock to because of his compassion and grace. Someone who ate with people on the margins that everyone else despised. Someone who had a vibrant, rich, emotional life where he could laugh with children, rage at injustice, howl in grief when his friend died. He was truly alive. 
He told stories that we weep at today. And he ultimately so loved people that he was willing to be physically killed so that they might know joy. Jesus is a staggering person, a beautiful person, a person who truly lived human life to its fullest. And so to be all in, immersed with him, is to be more and more truly alive. That's the first thing that baptism is declaring. Here's the second thing. It's saying, my hope is in Jesus. The chaps are going to do something very, very specific when they get out into the freezing cold paddling pool shortly. They won't just stand in it. They won't just sit in it. What they're going to do is go down backwards into the water, be really cold, and then rise up out of the water. And that movement isn't random, okay? It's very deliberately choreographed to be very like something that happened to Jesus. It is baptism, an act of solidarity, of identification with the central events of the Christian faith. Jesus' death on the cross on Good Friday and Jesus' resurrection on Easter Sunday. And in choosing to enter baptism, Christians are saying, I'm pinning my hopes on the guy who did this death and resurrection thing. I'm not seeing that just as a story. I want my life to be attached to it, that death and resurrection of Jesus. My life is now attached to that. That's where I find my hope. And again, I understand that for those of you who are perhaps newer to this, that might seem a little unusual. It might seem more than that absolutely crazy to do that. But if you're nervous about it, I gently point out that we all pin our hopes on someone or something, don't we? We all tie our fortunes and our joy and our future to someone or something. Who or what is it for you? What are you pinning your hopes on for life and joy? It could be your bank account, it could be the government. It could be the next government. could be the one after that. It could be the end of COVID, and then it'll all be okay, won't it? And Christians, in a sense, are simply saying, that's not wrong, okay? But we have found in our experience that putting our hope on all of these things, they're just so up and down. They're just so changing. They're just so fluctuating that to have our hope in that for life means that our lives are up and down and fluctuating all over the place. And we want something more stable, more certain to pin our life on. And the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we're putting our hope in him. Here's the third thing that baptism is declaring. It's saying, shouting, admitting, confessing, screaming out, I'm a mess, but now I'm clean. See, Christians, don't we? Don't I, at times, have a reputation for coming across as though we think we're perfect. We're right, you're wrong. We're good, you're bad. 
We're loved by God, you're not. We're in, you're out. And baptism absolutely shoots that down completely. Because in baptism, we are showing loud and proud, admitting up front for all to see our great need of cleansing. The waters of baptism aren't a reward for goodies. They're not a prize for moral people. They symbolize our urgent need of being washed, of being cleansed of what the Bible calls our sin. Sin is not an accusation that the church is meant to throw out at the rest of the world. Sin is a shared human experience for all of us. All human beings have failed to love our neighbours as ourselves. We all have mess. We all have regrets. We all have unclean areas of our lives. We all have muck. We all have things we've done wrong. We all have ways we've fallen short of our own standards, let alone God's. The question really isn't, do you have muck and mess? The question is, what do you do with yours? Some people, because they feel they have to, choose to deny it. Say, I don't have any muck and any mess, and maybe you had that little thought, when I said it. Sorry if you did. But I would suggest that in the quiet moments of our lives, in our conscience, we know that we fall short. We're not who we could have been. And all denying it does is forces us into this exhausting game of let's pretend where we fear the moment where the mask drops and people see us for who we really are. Others of us, well, we know we have a load of mess, (laughs) so much. We know we've got a load of baggage between us and God, but we've been told that the only way to sort it out and get in his good books again is to work ever harder and harder and try and somehow eventually tip the moral scales in our favor so that he might like us again. And again, it's just totally exhausting. What would be enough? What good thing would overcome the bad thing I did? How would it work? And as Christians, people getting baptized, followers of Jesus, we are simply saying to our great amazement and relief that we have found another way, that we fully admit that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, us very much included. We don't deny it. But in coming to Jesus, we're also not crushed by our guilt, condemned by our shortcomings, not forever consigned to trying to work it off and be good enough. But instead, we freely admit that we have got it wrong and find to our joy that we are, by God, freely forgiven. Freely forgiven. We are washed, we are cleansed. Jesus was the only person who never fell short, always loved God and his neighbor perfectly, was always truly all in and never got it wrong. But the Bible says that on the cross, an incredible substitution took place. The Bible puts it like this. God made him, that's Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us 
that God would look at Jesus as if he was all the very things that we've done wrong. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That we might, having been forgiven, be given Jesus' perfect spotless record. That God sees me as if I'd always lived with the integrity and courage and compassion of Jesus. Baptism declares I'm a mess. But now, because of Jesus, I'm cleansed. And here's the last thing before we go and praise them. The fourth thing that baptism declares, it shouts, I am new. That stuff about death and resurrection, that dying and rising. When you become a Christian, do you know something? That doesn't just apply to Jesus. In baptism, we enact that it also applies to us. As we go down into the water, we symbolize that the old us has gone, has been buried, has been done away with, has died off. The us that was opposed to God, the us that did what we wanted and didn't give a thought to others, the us that relied on ourselves for life, that us is gone. And as we come out of the water, we symbolize, act out, rehearse, demonstrate the truth that when we put our faith in Jesus, we are a new person. Now children of God, alive to live for him, to be his hands and his feet in this needy world, to live lives now defined by ever-increasing measures of love for God and love for neighbor, empowered by his spirit in us. And though, again, if you don't know Jesus and this stuff is new to you, you might think, again, that's a touch extreme. Like, what did Jude and Isaiah do that they need to be killed? You know, it can seem a lot. But I'd suggest, again, that we all know what it is to want to start over, to want to begin again, to want a fresh start. And every new year... We try, don't we, and die and rise again as a newer, fitter, more vegan, eco-friendly, less addicted to chocolate version of ourselves. But by March, it's all gone wrong and we're feeling depressed, let alone November when it's cold and dark. But hey, good news, January's not far and we can give it another crack. What baptism is saying... What the gospel of Jesus is saying is you don't have to try and generate a fresh start all by yourself. You can come to God and be gifted one. He will make you new. A verse that summarizes everything that we've said is this. Anyone, anyone, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. So there it is. You want to know what baptism's about? It's screaming loud. I'm all in. My hope is in Jesus. I'm a mess, but now I'm clean and I'm new. That's what baptism is all about. And I am very excited that in about two minutes, we're going to go and do it.